In the drawing room, a group of suspects gathered. The detective has solved the mystery. Ladies and gentlemen, the butler did it. <laughs> You'll never catch me. The butler darted to his getaway car. But what he didn't know is this is a Nissan sales event ad. Wait, what? And his car is no match for the detective's Nissan Rogue or its standard VC turbo engine. Save on one of your own at the Nissan Thrill of the Drive sales event. Now get 0% APR financing for 36 months on select models. Availability is limited. For well-qualified buyers, 0% APR financing for 36 months available on new 2023 Altima Rogue and Pathfinder when financed through NMAC. Must take delivery from new dealer stock. 36 months financing at $27.78 per month per thousand financed. Actual down payment may vary subject to residency restrictions and NMAC credit approval. Not all buyers qualified. Dealer contribution may affect actual price set by dealer. Contact dealer for details. Offer ends 2-28-23. I've confronted hundreds of men over two decades. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words. I just came to get something to eat. Men online looking for children to sexually assault. What's the motive here? It's, Explain it to me. I'm no, not you're right. No, you're right. It's stupid. It's, it's not. It's an illegal no. thing. Yeah, I know. I did a stupid thing. Men from all walks of life. A doctor. A teacher. A clergyman. You sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. You know I'm in trouble, and I know I'm in trouble. I tried to get into their heads and understand why. Pizza we have tonight. I, I, I want to know who you are. I want to know a little bit more about you first. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza. And ultimately, make sure they face justice. You ask her if she's a virgin. I ask everybody all kinds of stuff. It's just talk. You ask her if she's horny. What's wrong with that? You ask if she does anal. It's a question. Question. Who are they? Have they tried to prey on other children? And where are they now? These are the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen. I'm trying to understand what brought this 56-year-old man to this home in the middle of the day to potentially have sex with a 13-year-old boy. And he's trying to be cagey on his end. And I asked him, what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm a rabbi. You know, I've been at this for about 16 years, shockingly enough, and have seen some 400 men surface in my various investigations, just the ones where we go online with decoys posing as 12, 13, 14-year-old boys and girls, and are approached by men seeking sex. At first, it was called to catch a predator, and then it morphed into Hanson versus Predators and now have a seat with Chris Hansen. And looking back over those 400 people I've been involved with exposing over the years, this one really stands out. It's shocking the way this went down. It was our second investigation. We were in Herndon, Virginia, in a home that was owned by a retired FBI agent who I'd known for many years. We rented it for our investigation. We outfitted it with 
multiple cameras. We had decoys from a group called Perverted Justice upstairs posing as the children online. I was downstairs with a regular television crew, my producer, and security. And when we set up one of these investigations, the decoys are on the internet in various chat rooms, trolling for days and sometimes weeks. They never reach out to the potential predator. They always wait to be contacted, and, and that way there's no entrapment or any other legal issues. So as the investigation develops, in this case at least, they actually had pictures of the various potential predators up on like a bulletin board. It was almost like a who's who of who may show up and the names and as much information as we had. And the decoys were also very good at mining information, mining data. So in many cases, we knew who these people were before they showed up. So it's a Wednesday. We're in this home in a suburb of Washington, D.C., and the first guy is ready to show up. Now, this was only the second investigation we had ever done. We were in Long Island previously. 17 guys showed up in the course of three days. And now I'm wondering, okay, is this real? Will this continue? We had more cameras than the first investigation. We were smarter. We had a better system for looking at the transcripts of the chats. So I knew what I was doing when I walked out there. And right around noon on this particular Wednesday, in September of 2005, the first guy who walks in is a rabbi, 56 years old, his name, David Kay. And he came in to the house joyfully with a bounce in his step. And the decoy, who was actually a young woman posing as a, as a 13-year-old boy in this case, is around the corner and says something to the effect of, I just spilled Diet Coke on myself. I'm going to go up and change my shirt. And he smiles and he says, okay. And the conversation continues. During his earlier online chat with the decoy, Rabbi K said he could come over at lunchtime and visit. But he had a dinner date that evening with his girlfriend. He left open the possibility of another visit after he left his girlfriend that night. And that's why the decoy, Dell, asked him, you going to still be up for tonight after your date? Kay said something to the effect of, we'll see. He chuckled. I mean, this guy was really in a jovial mood and appeared excited about meeting a 13-year-old boy. And then I walked in. He stood straight up and was absolutely stunned. And I said to him, what was your plan here today? And he didn't know at that point whether I was a police officer, the 13-year-old boy's father, an uncle, a homeowner. He certainly didn't know I was Chris Hansen. Remember, this was only the second time we had done a predator investigation. So while the first one did get a fair amount of attention, it didn't rise to the level of the iconic cult status it ultimately achieved. What was shocking to me and what was absolutely disturbing to me among many things having to do with this particular case is that this was the first time a potential predator actually lunged at me, came at me physically, and for a moment at least appeared to pose some sort of danger. 
In the earlier online chat, the decoy told Kay over and over again that he was only 13. The rabbi said, quote, that's rape. But moments later, he asked, I've never been with a young man like you, but I would like to. Kay also sent photos of himself gleefully engaging in oral sex with another man, almost like an advertisement. They were so graphic, we couldn't even put them in the final story. I had the photos Kay sent with me when I walked out to interview him. And as many times as I've done these confrontational interviews, spontaneous interviews, I like to call them, some other people call them ambush interviews, but I'm always a little bit anxious on edge. And we do have security people on site. Ron Knight was our security person in all of these investigations. Very good, cool-headed, former NYPD lieutenant. So I felt that we were all about as safe as we could be, but you never really know. Kay finally sits down after I use my signature line, have a seat, have a seat right over there. He does. He looks at me and he says, I know I'm in trouble. You know I'm in trouble. I'm not interested in getting into any more trouble. Let's try to work this out. And I go back and forth with him and I read the transcripts. And this builds to a point where he's demanding to know who I am. And I don't want to say it right away because I want to get as much out of him as I possibly can. I already knew he was a rabbi, but I wanted to hear him say it. And I said to him, presumably in your line of work, you counsel children and families. Do you think this is appropriate? And he sort of looked down and said, no, it's not. This isn't good. And at some point during this confrontation, I slide across the photos that he sent, copies of the photos he sent. And he loses it because at this point, I also say who I am. I'm Chris Hansen with Dateline NBC, and we're doing a story on adults trying to meet children online for sex. And that's the cue for the television crews, the cameraman and sound man, to come into the room. Now, all of the conversation with him prior to this was recorded, but it's recorded on hidden cameras and with hidden microphones. So it doesn't occur to him at this point that he's already been caught on camera. He just sees these cameras come out and he absolutely flips out. He lunges towards me. Now, he never gets a hand on me. And Ron Knight gets in the middle of it. And Ron's armed and capable of handling, you know, any trouble that we find here. But he keeps going and he's not only lunging at me saying, you can't do this, you can't do this. He wants the pornographic pictures, the pictures he sent to someone he thought was a 13-year-old boy of him naked and performing oral sex on another man. Not even thinking in his mind at that time that we have multiple copies. This isn't the only copy that we have. So when I pull those back, Ron Knight gets into a tussle with him. And finally it calms down and he storms out of the house. And that was it. In this particular investigation, the second one we did, we did not have police or any law enforcement doing a parallel investigation, which is what ultimately happened. So in this case, David Kay, the rabbi, 
as well as the 18 other men who surfaced in the investigation, left and were on their own. And it became rather obvious at that point that we needed to change the way we conducted these investigations. Kay left, and eventually we interviewed Fairfax County Police. Fairfax County Police did make some arrests in the case based upon our investigation, but not David Kay. David Kay actually came across state lines from Maryland where he lived to meet the decoy that day. So it was a FBI case. Kay was indicted by a grand jury and prosecuted for soliciting a minor online a year after his arrest. The story that really has never been told about David Kay after his bust and before the story actually aired on Dateline is that we reached out to him to sit down to do an interview, to get his side of the story, to understand what led him to service in our investigation. And he was mean. He was angry. He blamed us for everything. He would literally call my producer, Lynn Keller, every week and demand that we not put this video on television. He said that he would do an interview with us, but only if we blurred his face and did not use the video of him arriving at the home in suburban Washington, D.C., and didn't say what he did for a living. Those were conditions, obviously, that we couldn't meet or agree to. So this continues. The investigation was in September of 2005. In November, the story is in the final stages of being editing and is going to air on television. We reach out again to Rabbi David Kay for his comment. And in this instance, he actually agrees to sit down with me for an interview. We go to Washington, D.C., myself, Ronnie Knight, the security man, came along just as a precaution. The crew set up in a Georgetown hotel, the Ritz. We had the crew all ready to go. There were no conditions in the last discussion before we were to do the interview. And Ron Knight and I are standing in the lobby. In comes Rabbi David Kay, clutching, clutching a soft briefcase, a canvas briefcase. Not sure what he had inside, but it was worrisome. It was concerning. He came right up to me and ordered me to sit down. We sat down in the lobby of the Ritz Hotel in Georgetown, and he demands certain conditions on the interview. Again, you will not show my face. You will not say what I did for a living. You will not put the video on TV of me arriving at the house. And I said, Rabbi, we've been through this. You know we can't agree to those conditions. We've caught you in the commission of a felony, attempting to have sex with a 13-year-old boy. And he got up and stormed out. And I didn't see him again. That particular To Catch a Predator investigation aired on a Friday night. And I wasn't prepared for the reaction we got. I took Saturday off. And on Sunday, I flew to China 
for an investigation we were doing on counterfeit pharmaceutical medicine. By the time I got back five, six days later, this story had caught fire. Everybody was talking about it. And people were demanding to know why the predators, including Rabbi David Kay, had not been arrested. We had child safety advocates reaching out to us. We had viewers who were outraged that these guys were caught and just walked away. And I went on various shows, including MSNBC, our own cable network, and others, radio programs, and essentially defended the police saying, look, we did this investigation on our own. We turned over the results to law enforcement afterwards, but they need to put together a prosecutable case. And ultimately, that is exactly what happened in the case of David Kay. Kay was indicted by a federal grand jury after an FBI investigation. And he retained a lawyer. And their theory was that if they went to trial in federal court, they would be better off at a bench trial with a judge, not a jury. And the defense lawyer thought that a case could be made that this was a television program, that this was investigative journalism, that there might have been some flaw in the case and that he was set up. And they thought that they had a better chance in front of a judge than in front of a jury. Well, it turns out they were wrong. More about this predator I've caught in a moment. The judge in the case found David Kay guilty on all counts. And in fact, based upon the transcripts from the chat with the decoy from Perverted Justice, was so outraged and found that Kay had actually lied on the stand in his own defense that he departed upwards from the sentencing guidelines and sentenced Rabbi David Kay to 78 months in federal prison. And that was hard time for him to do. A few years later, I was meeting with an FBI agent friend of mine who was involved in sex crimes against children, who told me that they had been in court. And ironically, during Kay's prison time, he would join in with the other inmates to go occasionally to the television room where they would watch various programs. On one particular evening, they were watching to catch a predator. Now, no one in the prison, or at least in this section of the prison, knew precisely why David Kay was there. They're all watching. Apparently, to catch a predator is very popular with prison inmates around the country. And suddenly, who pops up in the case in this particular episode? David Kay. Now, the other inmates didn't figure this out right away, but they started to, and they started to look around the room. They looked at Kay, and they looked at the screen, and they talked to each other and looked back and forth, and they figured it out. Their fellow inmate, David Kay, the former rabbi, was caught by me in To Catch a Predator. The rest of his prison stay was not as comfortable as it first was. He was harassed. He was the target of catcalls. And I don't know for sure, and the Bureau of Prisons has never said, and Kay has never talked to me since then, if there were 
any actual assaults or anything more than just harassment. But I was led to believe by federal prosecutors and by FBI agents that the rest of his time in this particular federal prison did not go especially well. After serving his sentence, you would think David Kay would probably try to stay on the straight and narrow, but that's not what happened. In the years that followed, Kay was accused of violating the conditions of his supervised release, his parole, at least five times. After being released in January 2012, it only took about a year for Kay to get into trouble again. As a condition of his parole, Kay was not supposed to access the Internet without his parole probation officer's permission. But he did not follow the rules. An investigation about 18 months after he first was released found that Kay accessed the Internet without prior approval and responded to advertisements for anonymous sexual encounters on Craigslist. He also installed software on his computer that disabled the probation officer's computer monitoring software. He also viewed pornographic images on Craigslist in personal advertisements in March and April of 2013. In September of 2013, at a hearing, the court found Kay, in violation of his parole, revoked his supervision and imposed a new 10-year term of supervised release. Kay seemed to think that he was above the law. Caught once, you'd think he'd start to behave himself and comply with the supervised release conditions. But that's not what happened. Listen to this. During a meeting in his sex offender treatment provider's office, his psychiatrist, therapist, a U.S. probation officer named Jessica Turo discovered that Kay had purchased without permission an iPhone capable of accessing the internet. Again, a direct violation. A purchase he initially tried to hide from her by refusing to check his phone in front of her when it rang. So here's David Kay, already violating parole once, at his therapist's office to get treatment to try to stay out of trouble. His parole officer essentially visits to check in and the phone rings in his pocket during the therapy session when he's being reviewed by his parole officer. And he pretends like it's not ringing. He has this in his pocket. Again, a violation of the conditions of his release. Kay was also forbidden from opening other lines of credit or buying other devices which he could use to download pornographic material, or to meet people online. But again, he violated those conditions as well. He denied initially having any other unauthorized devices, but an inspection of his house revealed that he had a Nook e-reading device, two pornographic DVDs, empty boxes for three smartphones, two of which were not recovered, and an unauthorized USB storage device. During this particular visit, the defendant admitted to the parole officer that he used the smartphones to have sexually explicit conversations with unknown individuals. The court ordered him to return to sex offender treatment therapy. After all this, a judge ordered that Kay go back to prison for nine months. You have to wonder 
how many chances would David Kay get? The answer is at least five. And each time he violated the conditions and the trust of the court and the probation officer. He did get treatment for his sexual compulsive behavior. And now, all these years later, he claims it's working. He's bounced around and held a number of different jobs. But still, he is under probation as we speak today. He worked at an auto parts store, but couldn't keep up with the strenuous physical demands of the job. Ultimately, he got a job at the Amazon warehouse, where he continues to work. He also works part-time at a parking structure, where he is an attendant and available for people who have trouble using the automated machines. Kay would later say that he struggled with his sexuality for years, but his early life as a rabbi, as a father of two children and a husband, didn't predict any trouble like this. He got married back in 1972, but he battled attractions, he would say, with other men. Kay hid those feelings, at least on the outside, and with his wife and their two daughters, appeared to be a model family. They lived in Maryland, where he worked as a rabbi, and his wife was a school teacher. He would later say that this was the happiest time of his life, and that he was deeply religious and loved teaching Judaism. After he was passed over for a promotion, Kay left that particular synagogue in Maryland where he had been an assistant rabbi for 18 years. He moved with his family to San Antonio, Texas to pursue another rabbinical position. But that experience didn't really work out, and soon he was back to the Washington, D.C. area. He got a job at a nonprofit organization which planned school programs for Jewish teenagers who would come to Washington and learn about. Jewish and Israeli causes, lobbying efforts, politics, things like that. There was no indication ever that he molested or attempted any inappropriate behavior with any of the teenagers who took part in the program. However, I did speak with a lawyer representing the organization who said that Kay's computers revealed some very disturbing pornographic material. After Kay and his family moved back, he and his wife began divorce proceedings. The 30-year marriage ended mostly because Kay confronted his sexuality and no longer denied he was gay. But it was only four years after he returned to Maryland and was working with the organization in Washington, D.C., Kay surfaced in our To Catch a Predator investigation. Kay would later say his arrest and the notoriety he obtained from being on To Catch a Predator was the lowest point of his life. One of the other issues Kay faced in the years after he was released from prison is finding a place of worship. His former synagogue would no longer allow him to worship there, and several others denied him access as well. This became a big story and made it into the newspapers even over in Israel. Finally, Kay's brother convinced his synagogue to allow him to worship. And it raises an interesting point because as many times as he violated his probation and as many times as he was back in trouble, he did serve a sentence. And does he, in fact, have the right to worship? And should this be held against him for the rest of his life? These are issues that 
we as a society sometimes I think have difficulty dealing with. You know, we all want, whether it's David Kay or any of the other predators who surfaced in these investigations, to have a fairly simple solution. We want them incarcerated for life because they will reoffend. We want them to be given some sort of treatment that works every time. Or we want them to be given some sort of magical drug that prevents them from offending, that treats their disorder, whatever leads them to act this way. And the fact is, when you talk to psychiatrists who work in this part of medicine, that just doesn't exist. There is no one-size-all treatment for these offenders. Some of them can be caught and rehabilitated and put on probation and monitored and do just fine. Some of them are just wired this way, and they do have to be incarcerated for the rest of their lives. And some of them are someplace in between. And until we come to grips with that as a society, we will consistently be battling these issues. And just within weeks of the day I'm talking to you right now, we went out and did another investigation. And in fact, in one evening in Michigan, Four different men surfaced after sexually charged online chats to have a sexual liaison with a 14 or 15-year-old boy or girl. You know, I'm often asked if I ever feel sorry for the men who service in these investigations. And the answer is yes, on occasion, you can wonder what happened in their background or what brought them to surface in a case like this or what made their minds think it was okay to go after a child to have a sexual relationship and were they damaged in some way or victimized in some way. But I keep coming back to this central point, which is what would happen if I wasn't there, if my crew wasn't there? If this wasn't an investigation and there was, in fact, a 13, 14, 15 year old boy or girl, what would happen to that child? And I can predict without fear of contradiction that in the vast majority of cases, that child would have fallen victim to a sexual predator. In the case of Rabbi David Kay, what would have happened to him if we hadn't conducted this investigation during those days? in suburban Washington, D.C.? Would he have just continued with his life as a rabbi? Would he have been living comfortably as a man who is openly homosexual, openly gay? Maybe, but I think what these investigations and this particular one involving Kay show is that we opened a lot of eyes to the fact that A lot of men are involved in this activity. They come from all walks of life. This, as far as I know, is the only cleric, if you will, a man of God, uh, a religious figure, a rabbi, priest, reverend, who surfaced in all these investigations. But while it makes this case stick out for a lot of people, people always say, well, I remember the rabbi, he came walking in, and I've had people contact me over the years saying, I was in his synagogue, you know, I knew of him or my brother, you know, was in that synagogue where he was a rabbi. It does bring a lot of attention to him because of what he did for a living. But more important, I think it brings attention to a very important issue and shows that 
These guys typically don't stand out of a crowd. It could be the guy standing next to you at your place of worship, at the dry cleaners, at the grocery store. And I do believe in the case of David Kay, had we not been there to intervene, to catch him, to conduct this investigation, it was only a matter of time before he would move down the road and potentially be involved with a boy in a sexual relationship. He showed that proclivity. He admitted it to his treatment professionals along the way after his incarceration and during his probation, his supervised release and his treatment. And he has admitted such in the court documents I have seen. Will he reoffend? He has violated the terms of his release on at least five occasions, sent back to halfway houses, to prison in a couple of cases. But he is out now and has been out for two years without a problem. He says he's close with his two adult daughters. He has friends. He has a place of worship. He is close with his brother and he has a job. So I really don't wish any ill will towards Rabbi David Kay. Now, Mr. David Kay. But I do think he did, prior to all this, present a danger to children. And I hope that, like all of these stories, all of these investigations, it continues to open eyes. It continues to lead us to ask questions, both in law enforcement and just in regular life. What can we do? I think at the end of the day, the most valuable thing I can do is to raise awareness, create a dialogue that didn't exist before. And if you can get into the mind of a criminal, a predator, and understand just a little bit more about how it works, and hear the voice of a victim, then you can prevent people from becoming a victim. And at the end of the day, that's what our reporting is all about. This is Chris Hansen, and this is Predators I've Caught. <laughs>